Divorce with Confidence is sponsored in part by the law firm of Nader, Naragi, and Woodcock, where they pursue peaceful settlement if possible and aggressive litigation when necessary. Visit them at www.nnwlegal.com. Divorce with Confidence is also sponsored in part by California Divorce Consultants, experienced attorneys offering consultations on a pay-per-minute basis with no obligations and no retainers. Find out more at www.CaliforniaDivorceConsultants.com. Hello and welcome to Divorce with Confidence, a program dedicated to helping you find the tools you need to manage the process of divorce with confidence and to find the solutions that are unique to you. My name is Hamid Naragi. I retired from practicing family law as an attorney after 25 years, during which I litigated, mediated, arbitrated, served as a private judge, as well as a divorce coach. I've also written two self-help divorce books, Divorce with Confidence and How to Manage a Contested Divorce in California. My name is Mary Johnson. I'm a certified divorce and life transition coach. As someone who's gone through the divorce process, I know you can navigate a divorce successfully and even thrive in life afterwards. Divorce can devastate you on many levels. To those who have been touched by it, there is no explanation necessary. And to those who haven't, no explanation is possible. We've helped thousands of people through their divorces and have created this podcast to provide our combined experience and wisdom for your benefits. Tune in each episode for a no-nonsense discussion on the subject of divorce that will help you navigate the process as smoothly and efficiently as possible. Welcome to Divorce with Confidence. Welcome to our fourth Divorce with Confidence podcast. I'm Mary Johnson, a certified divorce and life transition coach. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that impacts so many people, one million actually um, children in the U.S. experience uh, the divorce or separation of their parents. And there's many misconceptions surrounding this topic. So the focus today is on children up to age 18. And we're just going to touch on a few of these more common myths, uh, maybe four or five that um, happen um, surrounding children and divorce. On later episodes, we will be bringing on a child therapist, a child attorney, and even a uh, custody evaluator so that we can dive more deeply into the details of this topic. So to dispel the myths and focus on the facts is my friend and co-host, Hamid. Um, how are you today, Hamid? I am good. Good to be with you again, uh, especially to talk about something as important as this. So yep. sounds good. And let's get right to it. Um, you know, over the years, whether uh, I've, I've dealt with amicable divorces or all out war between the parents, I've never encountered someone who didn't agree at the beginning of the process that kids were going to be the most important issue for them and that they wanted to come up with a fair solution. But then for some couples, or a lot of couples, you could see as things went on and the emotions and the egos began to get involved, the choices that they were making, and there I go again, like I keep talking about, it all comes down to choices. But you could clearly see that the choices were being affected by emotions, about the other spouse as opposed to remembering and focusing on what situation or agreement was going to be best for the kids. 
So I, I wanted to start with that comment because as we go through this, it's so important to consistently remind yourself if you're going through a separation and you have kids, uh, as you go through the entire divorce process, not just at the beginning, to separate the talks about everything, like the right. money, the assets, the stuff. Separate everything from the talk about issues that impact the children. Yeah, although there are financial issues that will definitely impact the children that have to be dealt with. So I think that's one area where it gets really messy. Um, you know, Well, everything gets messy, but we will <laughs> unravel it for you. Uh, <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well, I do think that all parents, whether they're considering a divorce, they're in the middle of it, or they're post-divorce, they worry that their decision to divorce um, will have long-term you know, implications for their kids. And in fact, you know, for some couples, that's what keeps them together longer than perhaps it's actually healthy for the family because they worry mm -hmm. about how or if their kids will suffer, you know, adversely. Mm -hmm. I, I know from my own personal experience, that's how I felt. I 100% didn't want my kids to be a product of divorce. You know, I, I viewed it as a scarlet letter D on their foreheads that would be with them the rest of their lives, kind of like the Harry Potter scar. But, um, you know, since it's happened, I've grown to realize that it's more how I handle the process that's yeah. going to leave a lasting impression, not the actual divorce decree. And mm. I do think um, I have learned and I've seen others learn to use a situation more as a, a teaching tool and to help them develop strength and character, regardless of what they're going through, as opposed to being, you know, a victim, you know, uh, or a product of divorce. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, but it's not the worry that makes the difference. And it's not necessarily the divorce. Because like you said, you know, statistically, there's a lot of divorces out there and, and a lot of children of divorce. Divorce is just another life event. It's a major one, but it's a life event. And it may even be the best thing for the family that the parents separate. But like all other life events, as you, as you talked about, it's how it's handled that determines the effect uh, of it in the long run right. and on other people around us, in this case, uh, on the children. And for our topic of children during a divorce, which is what we're talking about today, it's handling the choices that are made about the parenting arrangements and the way the parents act towards each other that makes the difference in how children are impacted by the divorce. Right. You know, you know, we, we do everything we can to protect our kids from getting hurt. We make sure they put on their helmets when they're going to go ride their bikes. We tell them not to eat this bad food or whatever. We, we do everything to protect them um, and, and to keep them safe. But somehow for a lot of couples going through their divorce, protecting them from the short-term and long-term hurt of seeing how their parents act towards each other and the positions that they take gets blurred. Yeah, and, and that's an easy trap to fall into. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think, you know, some some really simple steps that I've heard um, and used uh, going through it actually help the kids more than we might think, you know, such as, um, you know, I would uh, make it a point to talk about how much I love their, their dad when they were born and how much, you know, we love them and how that's never going to change. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of parents, you know, purposely just putting quietly putting up a, a picture in their bedroom of them with the other um, parent, just to you know nonverbally communicate that you know um, it's all uh, you know it's all still a loving relationship, just in a different way. Yeah. Um, so just just small things and you know the smiles on their faces and I'm I'm sure as a child you feel more accepted when you know the other parent you know um has a has a respect and and you know a different type of 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 love for the other parent because they are their 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 children absolutely so let's go through step by step um and try to address a couple common misconceptions okay all right factor fiction Anything is better for a child than getting a divorce. Uh, I'll start. <laughs> this is fiction. Okay. All right. <laughs> There's obvious situations um, such as any type of abuse going on in the home when, uh, whether it be towards the other parent or the children, either one, uh, you know, children obviously should never be around not just physical abuse, obviously, mm-hmm. but also mental abuse. And, and sometimes that's where, um, you know, it gets great and the problems arise when the abused parent is so deep in the perhaps mental abuse or psychological yeah. abuse that they're not really comprehending or acknowledging the way that their children are being impacted on themselves. And it's not mm-hmm. until they get out of the situation, they can kind of see, you know, what's happened. Um, gaslighting is a popular term these days, and it's Mm -hmm. an example of emotional abuse that flies under the radar when the marriage is still intact. And obviously, you know, the other parent isn't aware of it if it's working. Mm -hmm. Um, Coercive control is a topic we could always talk about. But even if there's no abuse, it's stressful for anyone to live in a household when there's constant maybe tension, arguing, stonewalling, any type of unhealthy uh, form of communication. Yeah, it's a very good point. I, I agree with you completely. Like you said, the abuse situation is the obvious answer to when a divorce may be better for a child right? rather than the status quo of parents, you know, just pushing through. But the less obvious is the one where the constant fighting or even one where the parents don't talk at all and they mm-hmm. avoid each other or the ones where you know parents are constantly taking jabs at each other, all of that can be very harmful too. Uh, I think I think children deserve to have the best version of each parent possible. We only get one child childhood, and that stage of our lives really affects the rest of our lives. This is when we form our personalities and our perceptions of the world. And the truth is that in some marriages, being together brings out the worst in each parent. (laughs) So my question would be, which is better to have a separation respectfully done, but a, a separation or to prolong a situation where the children grow up in a household where each parent is at their worst? I don't know the answer, and my my answer doesn't matter. But I think it's a very personal decision uh, and a question that's just worth answering. Asking, I'm sorry. Yeah, and as we're as you're talking, all I can picture is the you know the grass is always greener syndrome going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh, 
some people talk about uh, typically there's four stages of marriage and obviously the first one is the romance and that's what everybody you know would like to hold on to but an actual marriage you know goes through a period of disillusionment um even misery and yeah. then after that um there's a stage called the awakening or when people say there's actually they they find true love in each other and mm-hmm. i think there's a lot to be said for pushing through tough times yeah. of course while getting maybe marriage counseling you know and not giving up if you're just going through what are the typical stages of a marriage um yeah. in the long run then it would be you know better for the parents to stick it out and and resolve their differences so it's it's well, a tough one yeah yeah no i i i completely agree with what you're saying and re- but remember that neither of us neither mary or myself we're not advocating a divorce Not As a matter of fact, in my prior talks uh, about, you know, the quote unquote, take your time and hurry up, I've, uh, I recorded a, a couple of things about that. And I'm always saying that to my clients or friends, but I stress that you should do everything and anything you can to save a marriage if yeah. it's savable. We're not talking about the situation where the marriage is not savable and considering that whether it's best to stay in the marriage just for the children's sake. We're talking about a situation where, you know, the, the realization comes around that this marriage is just not going to work. But for the sake of the children, let's stay together. That's what right. we're talking about here. Right. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but I am a father. And I realize that kids learn a lot through what they see. So my concern is what is a child learning when they live in a house where love doesn't exist what is a child learning about their views of marriage as they grow up is this a marriage one of my pet peeves is a blanket statement and i've heard it so many times that you know we have to stay in the marriage for the kids or that we need to wait until the kids are 18 i'll tell you I've seen a lot of damage done to kids during that time when parents supposedly do them a favor in having them live in that kind of an environment. Yeah. And then when a kid finds out later that the mother or father was miserable but they put off a divorce till the kids became a certain age, is that what we want our children to learn uh of of how to handle a situation of you know just prolong your misery? How do you think a person feels when they have that weight on them later in life that oh wait a minute you you were miserable because of me? So I I think it's something to talk about and think about when a marriage has problems that are un- unresolvable as far as what is really in the best interest of the kids. Yeah, both short-term and long-term. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good 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 information. But I'm not a psychologist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go on to the next one, fact or fiction. Okay. You can take this one. Children can have a say in which parent to live with and spend time with during uh, you know, uh parenting plan. Okay. Yes, children can have a say in which parent I'm talking legally now, okay? Yes, children can have a say in which parent they live with and spend time with. depending on their age and the rationale for their decision but what an awful thing to put a child in that position of picking between parents right 
My parents never divorced, but I remember vividly, I was around 12 years old. And one day my parents were joking around, or at least I think they were joking around. I don't know. But but they, they both asked me, which one would I want to live with if they ever got a divorce? Now I'm 55 now. I remember this vividly to this day because it felt awful to be put in that position of, do I want mom or do I want dad? Right. And that's but- a situation where they weren't actually even getting a divorce. So I can only imagine what it's like if a child is put in that position in the middle of a separation. Right. What a horrible position of guilt to put a child in. But yes, going back to the, the legals, uh, depending on your state or your particular jurisdiction, a child's preference can be taken into consideration. And notice that's not the same thing as the child getting to choose. When does a child get to choose? When they're no longer children, they're adults. But in terms of if they're still under the age of majority, their preference can be taken into consideration. So good question. Yeah. yeah. Um, When the child is stating their preference, I assume it's done in a way that they don't really realize what's on the line. I I assume that someone talks to them to figure out the dynamics and what's best. They don't like literally say, who do you want to live with? Or how how is that? Ideally, yes. Yeah, ideally. Um, I have never seen a situation where they put a child on a stand in a courtroom Mm -hmm. and say, mom or dad, which one do you want? So ideally, and depending on the circumstances, either a judge speaks to them in private. I've seen that sometimes where a judge will talk to a child in their chambers, in their office. Mm -hmm. Uh, More likely than not, some level of an evaluation is done where a professional, a psychologist will speak to a child in an age appropriate manner mm-hmm. and try to figure out the preference more subtly. Right. Uh, right. In some, in some situations where, you know, if things are really bad, a child may even have their own representation. The child may even have their own attorney, a minor's counsel. Mm -hmm. in which case that attorney represents their preference in the appropriate way. So yeah, uh, I've never, and I hope I never see a child put in that actual awful position in a courtroom of, do you want mom or do you want dad? Right. But getting back to the age portion of it, um, as far as the courts, remembering that every jurisdiction is going to have their own somewhat arbitrary rules about the age, but say, for example, in California, 14 years old is the age when the courts allow a child to express an opinion about their preference. In Texas, for example, it's 12. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, the child has to also be able to articulate, express an intelligent opinion about which parent and why. You know, is it because this child, uh, this parent lets me eat whatever I want all the time? Is it because this parent (laughs) lets me stay out as long as I want, watch whatever I want or no. So it has to be some um, logic to it, some rationale to it. Um, So a a judge will take that into consideration along with everything else to determine what's a parent, a child's best interest. Okay. And um, also, can you just um, quickly differentiate between legal and physical custody? Because those two things are, you know, handled separately uh, for a child. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, 
legal custody versus physical custody. Legal custody has to do with which parent has the ability to make decisions about the child's health, education, religion, and general welfare. So who has the decision-making ability about that? Okay. Much more often than not, it is a joint legal custody because the court's going to want both parents involved in those kind of decisions. So very rare that I see someone have that ability to even participate in decision-making about a child's health, education, religion, and welfare cut off. So that's legal custody. You're so it's al- either almost- sole or joint. There's just like those are the Correct. two categories. It's not Correct. for legal. Yeah. You're not going to get a primary or uh, I have okay. 70% the decision making you have. It. So it's either joint or sole. Okay. Physical custody on the other time, uh, on the other hand, just like the name implies it's physical. Where is the child physically going to be? It's about the living arrangements and that you can have primary physical with one parent visitation with the other, uh, or whatever situation the living arrangements is best. Okay, so that's more specific then. Okay. Correct. Okay, so maybe uh, maybe it'd be helpful if we break it down by age group then, since it really does depend on the age and maturity of the child. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking about, you know, infants or preschool age children, is there something that is typically um, decided for, for, for this young age group? Um, well, again, we're, we're not, now we're not talking about preference because we already spoke right. about that earlier about the age 14 or 12 or, uh, but everything else, the responsibility of the court is to determine what's in the child's best interest. That, that's the magic phrase. Mm-hmm. So whatever the age is, whatever the circumstances are, whatever the situation is, everything has to be articulated in terms of one parent versus the uh, other parent expressing their position. What do you want and why is that in the child's best interest? So if we're talking about infants, one parent would have to present both to the other side and eventually to the courts, if that's where it goes, is for an infant with this particular situation, is is the father one block away or a mile away or a city away, or is the mother one block away, whatever, Mm -hmm. what situation would be best for this infant? Is the child, uh, you know, how do they uh, feed themselves? Is it breastfeeding? Is it so? All of that would be taken into consideration under the standard of best interest. Determine what's best right now. Mm-hmm. But an important point to bring up right now is that you have to remember everything having to do with the parenting, with the physical arrangement for the legal arrangement. Uh, is always modifiable. So it's not cast in stone mm-hmm. because one, a, a specific living arrangement must might be fine while they're infants, but as they grow, as they mature, as the living arrangements change, as the all of that, the parties and the court would have the ability to come back and say, okay, now things have changed. There's been a substantial change. So now let's modify it. Gotcha. Okay. And I think it's important to realize that even infants um, are impacted by changes in the normal routine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all, all children like routine, all adults, well, not all, uh, a lot of adults um, like their routines too. And so um, <laughs> <laughs> some more than others. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's important to point out that, you know, even someone very, very young are going to be impacted 
by a certain extent by changing the normal routine through a divorce. Yeah. Um, you know, it's known about six months of age, kids get, um, babies get separation anxiety, and that's normal, and stranger anxiety, and that's normal developmental milestones. Um, but that can be increased, um, and it can also kind of come out in toddlers um, if there's yeah. a lot of, uh, if they perceive a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. um, toddlers could also do things like regress in milestones uh, if uh, the divorce situation is making um, increased stress for them. Yeah. You know, like maybe they were potty trained before and suddenly they're not. Um, and, you know, each child may have a different way of expressing um, mm -hmm. their, their kind of reaction to the divorce. But I think it's wise to be on the lookout for those red flags um, and keep the routines going as much as possible. Um, Very much so. Very much so. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, sadly, by age four or five, um, they studies have shown that um, children may start blaming themselves for the separation and begin acting out. So that's a, you know, super young age to be kind of taking on uh, yeah. the divorce on their shoulders. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, stability and continuity, you know, what we're talking about right now, th that's the terminology that the courts use they okay. very much want to maintain as much as possible some stability and continuity in a child's life they don't want them bouncing back and forth they don't want them to have that pressure that you're talking about on them and mm -hmm. and, um, and growing up is hard enough mm -hmm. without that tearing apart of of the normality of a child's life so right. th they're going to respect that for example keeping trying to keep siblings together that is huge for the courts uh, in, in trying to keep some level of normalcy in their lives as their family is separating now. Right. Or I would assume keeping them in the same school system with the same set of friends or, um, you know, same after school activities to a certain extent. I would think all of that uh, kind of helps the child feel safe. Um, yeah. Uh, to the extent possible, to the extent possible. Now, again, uh, all of that is a huge reason I try to encourage people to stay out of the court system right. when it comes to the children. Everything else, fine. If you can't decide about the money, if you can't decide about the support, if you can't decide about everything else, fine. Give that to a stranger in a robe. But when it comes to the decisions about whether it's feasible, whether it's good to have the children continue in their school with their friends or put them through a move or their extracurricular activities. I, I very much stress pe uh, to people, try to make those decisions between yourselves. Even if you have to bring in the evaluator or a therapist or someone to help you through it, make that decisions as mom and dad. We're not talking about husband and wife, that's separating, but mom and dad should always remain intact and the children should always know that mom and dad are always there for me. So is this an issue where you might get a mediator to try to work out some type of um, solution without going to the courts in terms of? Any, yeah, anything and everything that might work, whether it's a mediator, whether it's a coach, whether it's uh, a, a therapist, a psychologist, something that's more tailored to a solution for the children mm -hmm. as opposed to giving it to the court system. And I, I don't have anything against the court system per se. You know, it, it has its place in, in the me mechanics of a divorce. 
but it should be seen as a last resort, not as a first option. Nowhere is that more true than when it comes to children. Right. Giving it to a judge to decide should be the absolute last resort. Right. I mean, because there's no way they can know all the facts in a short amount of time. There's just no way that they can truly understand each situation. Um, And they're going to have to make their best uh, best guess, I guess. Um, and they definitely, well, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. But they definitely won't know your children. They right. are your children. And they'll, they'll do the best they can if they're put in that situation, along with the 30 other cases that they have to decide that morning or that afternoon. Yeah. But my point is when, when, when you and I are here talking about the stability and continuity in a child's life and, and the difficulties they're already going through, whenever possible, I try to encourage people, let's think out of the box. Let's find a solution that's more tailored for your children, right? as opposed to putting it into a predetermined box that's supposed to be good for all children. Right. And also be more cost effective too, I'm assuming. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. It it will be, uh, which is, you know, a a collateral benefit. Uh, but obviously, the, the children's right. well-being is is foremost. Right, right. Uh, and so, um, back to some red flags. Um, mm-hmm. When the kids are in uh, more the school age, elementary age, uh, you know, routines are still important. But another, an additional red flag to watch out for would be a decline in school performance. Yeah. Um, in addition, you know, uh, elementary school age children they can become depressed. They can have their own um, reasons for their anger and acting out. Um, and so it just, it depends on the situation, but just keep your uh, antennas up for changes in your child and, you know, um, uh, listen to them. And, mm-hmm. you know, for example, there was a case um, with the Dwarfs coaching where a child was kind of in the middle of a court system situation Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they wanted to make a tent in their room and live in it sleep in it um you know do their homework in it everything you Mm -hmm. know and that's just kind of a very um concrete example of perhaps it just being way too much stress for a child um to take on um so i think as parents we just need to to be aware that Obviously, it rocks our world, but it also rocks our children's world. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and, and when things like that are observed, again, husband and wife may be separating. Mom and dad cannot separate. Mom and dad have to be united and communicate with each other about what they're seeing, what kind of changes they're seeing in their children, and very much when they communicate that to each other, refrain from using that as an opportunity to blame the other person. This is our children going through this. So what are we going to do about it? If you see a child all of a sudden, for example, you know, out of, out of character, just isolating themselves, talk to each other without blaming each other and say, how can we fix this? And, and that age that you're talking about, you know, that school age, that's always been a difficult age, whether parents are separating or not. 
And it keeps getting harder and harder. Now with all the social media dangers, the information that's out there, the predators that are out there, it's terrifying. All of that makes it more difficult and dangerous as far as what a, a child is exposed to. Now you factor in a parental breakup and that makes it even harder and more dangerous in how vulnerable they are to to, to the predators out there. Right. I can't stress enough that parents going through a divorce put everything and all of their differences aside when it comes to their kids and talk as often as possible without blaming each other about what their kids are going through, how they're acting, how they're talking, etc., so they can both watch out for their differences in their kids during right. a breakup. Right. And, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned that, um, you know, uh, obviously you shouldn't say something derogatory about the other parent, but sometimes, you know, your emotions can bleed over and it's not even an intentional. It can be in the way you say something um, that yeah. the kids can pick up on something. So I think, um, you know, if going through it, you keep in the back of your mind that once you've said something, you know, negative or derogatory about the other uh, parent, you know, the, the child may remember that for the rest of their lives. And so yeah. um, it's a good time to, uh, if you can, and if you can't get help doing it, you know, take the high road and um, present the best front for your kids. Well, yeah, uh, yes. And remembering that all of this is a learning opportunity for our children. I, I said earlier that children learn by watching us. And if something like that happens, if you, if your emotions do get the best of you and you do say something about the other parent, take it as an opportunity to teach your children that, okay, yeah, you know, I lost my temper. I said something I shouldn't have. I didn't mean it. Right. Separate, separate the effect that all of this is having on the children and what the children are learning about life, about relationships, about how to handle emotions from the divorce, from the separation, from those things and stuff that you may want to or need to fight about. Right. But if you just have that presence of mind, of, oh my God, I lost my temper and I said something about the other person, how awful might it be for a child to hear this about their mom or dad? Having that presence of mind of, ooh, that was bad. Let me go tell my child that that was a mistake. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's a good point to, to, um, to bring up. I mean, no parent is going to be perfect going through it, but I think as long as both parents have the right intention, it will end up, you know, being best for the child. Parents aren't perfect when they're together. <laughs> why, why should they be perfect when they're separating? It's just acknowledging a mistake, acknowledging that I got angry, acknowledging your emotions, let the child learn that, yeah, things like that happen, but you, you, you course correct and you come back. If appropriate, you apologize without worrying about the legalities of, oh my God, did I apologize now? Right. Put all that aside. Put all that aside. Kids right. right. are the most important. They're right. the innocent victims of this divorce. They don't, they just need to remember that and prioritize the children over anything else, including their own interests, something, uh, sometimes their own views of what's fair. The children deserve that. Right. Right. 
And I think um, one more um, red flag to point out with is as mm-hmm. the children grow, uh, the size of the problems may grow. So uh, yeah. when you know when they're in adolescence, there's there's going to be <laughs> other issues that can come up. You know, like um, you know substance abuse or uh, inappropriate sexual behavior in terms of acting out. So I think it's mm-hmm. important to be on the lookout. And you know, in addition, since COVID and sheltering in place, in general, teens are having a hard time. And, um, you know, uh, things like suicide, those those things actually happen. And I think we mm. all need to be better educated in how to support our kids, how to support our teens, regardless of a divorce. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So last one, factor fiction. Okay. A person who raises a child but doesn't have a legal relationship to that child, so not their parents, is not uh-huh. considered in the legal system. Uh, I'll take this one. <laughs> I'm going to say fiction. You will, okay. <laughs> <All> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing that. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. I'm going to say fiction because I'd like to believe that the legal system has modernized enough to realize that um, uh, there are bonds that are created between people that uh, may not be, you know, biological or, you know, legal, um, but that uh, are are healthy for the child and support them. And mm-hmm. um, and it seems like who the child feels the most connected with and gets emotional, the most emotional support from, you know, yeah. prior to the divorce. So what was the status quo prior? I would say that should take precedence. Um, I don't know if I'm in correct or i am you know talking about something the court is or isn't recognizing at this point well correct or wrong you're optimist at least <laughs> like <laughs> you're an optimist you'd like to believe that the court system works. but well the key to your question is whether they're considered in the legal system because right. once a parenting plan is in place each parent can have their children stay with the with family or whoever unless doing that would be somehow harmful to the kids. So mm-hmm. we're talking about a situation where the parents would object to this non-parent, and then this non-parent is asking the legal system for recognition and for visitation rights. So I wanna make that okay. distinction, okay? So again, it depends on the specific laws of the state, but in most, if not all of them, a non-parent can petition a court for visitation rights, but it's not going to be easy. The courts are going to respect the parents' choices. So whether successful or what the standard is going to be for the judge to decide that is going to be in different in each jurisdiction. So you need to speak to a good attorney in your area. But generally, courts prefer to have children with parents and the courts will also want to respect the decision of both parents as to who has a right to see them now grandparent visitation is another one and i do see this fairly common uh or i used to do it when i used to practice but um as far as whether grandparents can petition the court to continue their visitation their their legal rights to see the children uh-huh. and in california for example the grandparents can request visitation rights but unless there is an agreement by the parents there is going to be a rebuttable presumption believe it or not 
against such a visitation, even by a parent, grandparent, if their parents are opposed to it. Mm. And the same is true in Texas, by the way, uh, where the burden is on the grandparent to show that it is in the best interest of the child to have legal rights to see them over the objection of the parents. Gotcha. Okay. So in most situations, hopefully, there's no issues with grandparents seeing the child, but to have a legal um, decree saying that that will override the parents is where the the, uh, stickiness comes in. Yeah, that's where they would have to argue that to the court, petition to the court, and convince them that overriding the parents' decision would actually be in the children's best interest. It can happen. I just, it's just an uphill battle. Mm. Now, another topic that's related, but somewhat different is adult children during a divorce process. So we'll talk about that in our next program. Right. And I hope this information has been helpful. And, and please contact us through our website if you would like to either speak to myself or Mary or if you have topics that you would like for us to cover in future programs. So until next time, please take care of yourself and be well. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you found the information helpful and that you will share it with anyone who may also be helped by it. Remember to click subscribe to get an alert for new episodes and go to divorcewithconfidence.org for a list of past shows as well as leaving questions and ideas for future programs on Instagram at Divorce with Confidence. The content and conversations in this podcast are for informational and entertainment purposes only and do not contain legal advice, legal opinions, or any other form of advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Communication of information through this podcast, one, does not create or constitute an attorney-client relationship, two, is not intended as a solicitation to create an attorney-client relationship to provide legal services as to any particular matter, and three, is not intended to convey or constitute legal advice or to provide a substitute for obtaining legal advice from a qualified attorney. You should not act upon any such information without seeking qualified legal counsel on your specific needs.